Welcome to the Hen and Chicken. Fantastic to see so many of you here tonight. Uh, second time in a week, some familiar faces. Thanks for those who came to the Robin's Lotto quiz the other night. Um, firstly, thank you to the Hen and Chicken, James in particular. Second year in a row, uh, those who came last year, you agree it was a good event and hopefully we'll have an equally good event tonight. Um, just a bit of housekeeping. So this is being streamed on Robin's TV, Facebook and YouTube. So um, for those of you who told your husband or wife you were going for a long walk with a dog, <laughs> you might want to keep a low profile and equally can you switch your phones off because if the same husband or wife rings you, then they all will be found out. So um, format for the evening is a few opening introductions from Richard. Then we'll go to the floor for questions. We will take questions on Twitter. So hashtag uh, Bristol City Fans Forum if you want to send your questions in. Hopefully wrap up by about 8.30. We'll see how the evening goes. Um, we also have Mark Kelly, Managing Director of Ashton Gate here. And Gavin Marshall, who's also a Bristol City Director, uh, if you've got any specific questions other than for the top table. So thank you for those who are joining us worldwide. Um, and without further ado, over to Richard Gould. Thank you. Um, worldwide sounds very grand. So, yeah, worldwide sounds very grand. So uh, keep us in touch with how many viewers that we've got. Have we got more than a dozen at the moment? <laughs> Wow, 150, that's very reasonable. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, I'll, uh, I've got a couple of opening uh, remarks for myself and then I'll uh, hand across to Tins to take us through an update uh, as with regards to Academy and what's going on there. Uh, and then Nigel will either give a bit of an update or we'll go straight into the questions depending on uh, how he feels. Um, but thank you very much for coming out. It's, uh, it's lovely to see a full house. Uh, that was a bit of bit of a theme, pleased to say, uh, so far this season. Um, I thought the, uh, the sellout for the opening Sunderland game was incredible. Thank you very much indeed for that. It was uh, an amazing atmosphere. Sorry about the result, but uh, the, um, the atmosphere was wonderful. And we've just been really pleased to see the levels of support that we've uh, had so far this season. We're uh, averaging north of 19,500. Season tickets are, uh, are up on last year, only marginally so, but about three or 400 up. And if you sort of do a bit of a deeper dive on that, you can see that uh, the areas that are significantly up are the under 12s and the under 19s. So uh, we're up to about 4,000 under 12s and under 19s coming through, which is really good. And uh, thank you very much for that. We, you know, the, the, the sign of a healthy club is to make sure that we've got lots of youngsters coming to the, coming to the ground and it's, uh, it's excellent to see them. Um, adults are marginally down, sort of, uh, we're about 6,000 straight adults I'm taking out, sort of um, uh, seniors and stuff, they're a couple of hundred down, but generally really pleased to be where we are on season tickets, particularly when you, you know, you look at the cost of living crisis and uh, it's, 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 it's not cheap to follow, uh, following your team and we've seen amazing away support at, uh, at so many grounds so far this season and we're very grateful for it and we don't take anything for granted on that. Um, in terms of the season ticket holders, um, uh, the South Stand is the most popular, about 95% of the South Stand is taken up uh, by, uh, by season ticket holders, so uh, if you do want to sit in the South Stand for a season ticket, you do need to get in there early. Um, and the other positive sign is uh, replica shirts. 
massive, 65% up this time last year, something like 8,000. Um, so if you have had some supply issues, which we get into later on, it's because they've been so popular. Uh, but it's wonderful to uh, it's wonderful to see that level of support, and it is kind of year one out of COVID properly, and uh, you know you're never quite sure whether or not people are going to be able to come back and support once they get out of the habit. Well, um, the supporters' loyalty has absolutely shone through, and we're very very grateful for that. Um, on a slightly drier matter, uh, annual accounts are being sorted this week. Uh, and uh, they'll be logged with Companies House sometime in the next couple of weeks and then we'll make sure that uh, the statements get out to the supporter base so you can all see where we are. Um, we will still be posting a substantial loss um, for the year, for the end of last season um, and we are, you know, we remain eternally grateful for the, for the level of support that's being provided by the Lansdowne family. The numbers are better than the previous year, they're about £10 million better than the previous year, but it's still a substantial loss. Um, and we're continuing to work to try and make sure that we can get to a, a sustainable level. Um, that £10 million improvement, part of it is the fact that we've got supporters back in. That's a, a really important part and, and that's why I wanted to talk through the season ticket numbers earlier so that you can see how that's bounced back. But also we've been working hard to uh, reduce the player cost base uh, and uh, Nigel's had to uh, deal with that and uh, you know, it's, not an easy, it's not an easy thing when, uh, when, we're, when we're trying to reduce the, uh, the player cost base to the level that we have. Um, financial fair play uh, has been an issue for all the clubs in the championship, particularly when they're looking at uh, the COVID losses. Um, we were well within uh, limits for the end of season, for the end of last season. And for this season, uh, we're not forecasting any problems either. So positive report on that one. Um, there were a number of, it's a very complicated calculation that's beyond me. Uh, but there were a lot of COVID addbacks that the Football League allowed, uh, allowed to be taken into consideration. The most important one being the collapse of the transfer market, because you'll be aware that um, you know, transfer and sales have been very important to the club in the past. And uh, the transfer market effectively died uh, during COVID. And uh, so that's an, an addback that's been allowed uh, through the EFL. And therefore, the good news is that we are not anticipating any problems this season. Um, the other thing I just wanted to, to, to highlight was the High Performance Centre, which was a, a really significant investment when it opened uh, 18 months ago, something like that. Uh, the High Performance Centre has long been an ambition of the club. I think the land was bought 15 years ago, something like that. And um, now it's been delivered, it, it, it really is starting to, uh, to, to show its worth. Um, it's incredible when we've got the first team and we've got the academy there. The, the women's first team is also um, fully established there. It makes a huge difference uh, because there's so much more collaboration. Uh, you can see across the age groups, Tins I'm sure will cover this a little bit. You can see uh, people going up and down through the age groups. The first team might take a look at somebody that, uh, that they wouldn't otherwise see. Being on the same location is, uh, is, 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 is enormous. And it's also a really good sales factor. Uh, I love it on a sort of a Tuesday, Wednesday evening when the under nines or the under tens are being dropped off. And the, the, the wow factor as they, 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 they come into the, the facility is incredible. As it is when we're looking to bring players in and you can show them the, the standards and the level of professionalism that we're, that we're aiming for and seeking to deliver. 
that's my intro. I'll, I'll hand across to Tins, and he can talk us through some of the academy stuff. Thank you, Richard. Can you hear me? Is that right? Um, yeah, really pleased on um, on how the, the academy and the young players are progressing. Um, our 21s have had a, a really good start of the season. Um, they've won nine, drawn two, and lost the other day to a. Uh, to Ipswich of all the teams. <laughs> um, <laughs> heads, heads will roll. Um, yeah, the, we, the good thing is about the 21s, we use it really as, a, um, as an under-19 uh, team for us. We've had four 16-year-olds playing there this season already, first-year scholars. Um, one of them is trained regularly with, with Nigel, um, Elijah Morrison, who's excelling, who's a really exciting young player. He played last week against QPR. Um, Efram Yeboah, young striker, 16 year, years of age. He scored the winner at Colchester for the 21s the other day. So we're really excited about him. But there's, there's so many, so I don't want to just touch on, 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 on just a couple. But the good thing is, as Richard touched on, the HPC has become vital for us. Um, I have a little wander up in the morning and have a chat with the, with the first team staff. And um, do they need numbers to help the first team for training? Yes. How many do you need? Four. <coughs> Uh, what positions do you need? Da, 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 da. Or it's six, yeah, it's six. Um, and then we, we go back down the other end, we speak with the staff, who's who's doing the best, who deserves the opportunity to go and train. And then I think the good thing is as well, that between 16 and probably 18, 19, the boys who go and train, and um, they don't look out of place. And um, the first team staff are really complimentary. They, they get their eyes on them, they start to know them. And then you know they're doing well when the next time they need players, they don't come and say this is the position, they ask for the players. So then you know they're doing something right because they've, they've caught the eye, they've done well, and then they go back and, and get the opportunity again. So as Richard says, the HPC is massive, and I think we're going to go strength to strength with our closeness between the first team and the academy. And obviously they have to play him, and I just, to be fair, we've, Alex Scott and <laughs> you got to give him a note. The good thing is, he, you know, the fi the financial restraints have been there the last few years. The the Alex Scotts, the Eamon Benaruses, the Tommy Conways, and the Camprings and the Sam Bells, they've all been given the opportunity to to go in the first team squad, and they stayed there. And it's brilliant for the academy. It's brilliant for the football club to have your own homegrown players playing on a Saturday. And and I'm sure we've got more. We've got more to come. So. It's good. Good. Okay. Right. <laughs> um, I don't suppose I'm going to try and follow those two intros with a uh, summary. I think what I what I would like to say to start with is, um, having been here now for a year and a half um, at your club, because um, I always, I think people in our positions are basically custodians of a position. You are fans of a football club so it's your club and even <laughs> even when it feels that things aren't going the way that you want them to do um, my observations having been in uh, professional football now for 40 odd years is that it's not in a bad place and it's moving in the right direction so um, I think one of the things where okay so my job as uh, the the first team manager is about results and yes they they always can be better and certainly we're having another um, in some ways frustrating um, campaign but 
I do know that that um, we are we have made uh, positive positive moves, which I think will last the test of time. So, for instance, I mean, Richard's already talked about. I call it the training ground because that's you know I talk about going home. I don't say I'm going to uh, wherever I live in Nelsie. I don't talk about it as an address. I say I'm going home because it's training ground. But it is becoming a high performance centre. I didn't use the words initially because it really grated on me because we were crap. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and no, 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 I'm, I'm not being facetious. But, but we have to earn the right for it to be called that. Now, what I will say is now it's being populated by the women's team and doing brilliantly, by the way. Um, the academy is a uh, the academy has been good for a, a while, but there is more direction now. Uh, the direction comes from an alignment within the football club. So um, I don't know whether anybody bothers to watch my press conferences because they draw a lot of time. <laughs> but, but I was asked today about, uh, about certain things. And, and one of the things that's very, very, um, very apparent now and very useful for the players as much as anything is there is an alignment between all the departments. And, and that means that when the players progress through the age groups that they have a better chance of success because they're not going from uh, one set of values to another. So uh, we work very hard in terms of phys physical conditioning too to make sure that the players, you know, whatever progression you make through the years, through the age groups, or it's from the 21s to the first team, there are going to be uh, enough challenges in just dealing with the experience. So what you don't need on top of that is the added baggage you're having to deal with um, fitness levels which are unattainable. So there's been lots of um, progressions which don't necessarily add up to what you all want to see, and that is good football but winning football. Um, but we'll get there hopefully. And if we don't get there in my tenure, we'll get there at some point because we are moving in the right direction together. And this is what is really important, uh, I think, for Richard, obviously, and, and congratulations to him because he's, he's moving on. But, but what is very important for us is that we have a continuity of what we try and do. And Richard's brought an awful lot to the organisation. Uh, I've benefited and sometimes not. <laughs> and, no, but but listen, it's it, it is about it is about making the right decisions for the club, which are sometimes tough ones. And and there's no point trying to dress it up by by um, saying everything is rosy in the garden. It's not. But what we have to do is is. Uh, face up to the problems that we have and deal with them with a with a positive mentality and I think that's been the biggest shift for me over the last 12 months in particular is that we are making progress in terms of as an organization being able to uh, at least um, find solutions with a level of collaboration which has not been there before and I think that's something that regardless of what you see on a, on a Saturday, a Tuesday, a Wednesday, a Sunday, or whatever day it is, that I actually think your club is in decent hands at the moment. And uh, we, 
we need to make sure that we that we protect that moving forward but we also do what you want to see and that is provide uh, entertaining winning football and I suppose if I was a teacher writing a report it would do you know, I would just say could do better because that's where we're at at the moment we are making progress okay thank you um, over to the floor now so just in terms of format Jerry and Emily will have microphones please put your hand up wait for the microphone to arrive state your name ask your questions gonna be lots of questions so please don't hog the microphone try and get around as many as we can so <coughs> Who would like to ask the first question? Adam? Thank you. Um, Nigel, is there um, any of the first teams set to sign new contracts yet? Um, honest answer at the moment, no. Too early. Um, that doesn't mean that we've not been uh, either internally discussing where we think they're at. Uh, but um, there's a long way to go between now and the end of the season. I think, I think in all honesty, the Richard's already touched on it in, in terms of the financial climate within the game. Um, it's changed massively, and and so in terms of renegotiating contracts uh, of players who are currently here, who and I don't like talking about money, but it's inevitable that you've got to talk about it is um, the trend in the last 12 months last 18 months in particular is players generally speaking get offered less than they're already on and that whether I like it they like it or anybody likes it or not is how it's going so it stands to reason that with a, a squad of our size and with our um, with the number of players, it's going to be an important summer for us. Uh, with the number of players that are, are coming out of contract, I think it's important they earn their next contract. Um, and whether that sounds old-fashioned or not, I'm not bothered. It is the it is the climate that now we have to operate in, and I think the players are getting their heads around that um, because they talk and they'll be aware of players who have signed or players that they know friends who have moved on to other clubs um, that their earning power has become less so it's a it, it's it's not as simple as saying um have they been, well the question is have they been offered contracts the honest answer is no but it's more of a complex um situation than than i could just answer it in one sentence we have to have a very open mind on it and it's it's probably yeah the championship championship wages in the championship the market has dropped by i'd say 20 to 30 percent something like that but it's a really weird division um because you've got all these clubs that have been relegated from the premier league that come in with untold riches you know when we go to a club such as norwich they would have a 55 million pound advantage on us. Um, a club that's been out of the division or been out of the Premier League for two years, West Brom, uh, they've got a 35 million pound advantage on us. And um, that's why there's lots of discussions at the moment to try and achieve a little bit more balance in the Championship because the Premier League's at risk of becoming a, 
a 2014 league, four of which are bobbing up and down from the championship every year. And that's not exciting. That's not what we want, I don't think, as a country either. Thank you. Does that answer it? Yeah, thank you. Okay, cool. Uh, number one view, Nigel. Okay. I wanted to ask Tins about his favourite left back, but I'll come back to that later on. Wait, so you why don't you ask that first? <laughs> <laughs> um, Nigel, can you talk to us a little bit about Jason Yule, um, why he was brought to the club, how he's doing, um, and how it changes your role since he's been at the club as well? Please. Yeah, of course. You don't have to say please. Is it? The question was enough. Um, but thank you for the uh, polite end to that question. Um, I worked with him when I was his manager at Southampton. Um, I was only at Southampton like many of the jobs that I do for a short time. Uh, whether, that's, whether that's to do with my um, personality or ability, I'm not sure. Um, but uh, yeah, he's he's always struck me as being somebody who is thoughtful. What I really like about him um, though, and th there, there are a number of things that give uh, good reasons to bring him in. He's, he's a forward. He's um, in terms of his ethnicity, let's not hide from that. There, there aren't enough role models and there are lots of black players um, in football clubs and not enough role models um, that's got that's a side that's a side uh, issue if you like or a, a, a smaller part of it but for me he's he gives balance to us as a staff he's quieter he's um, very laid back he's very measured with his approach for those who were here last year when I couldn't make it because I wasn't very well last year you met Curtis, and Curtis can talk um, indefinitely. Um, but again, his strength—you know—Kurt brings different strengths. So Kurt is a defender, very, um, very loyal, very uh, hard-working, a good defensive coach, somebody who who cares about the players. It's really important to have a group of staff who bring different characters you don't want everybody being the same because if you're a player within a uh, within a squad it's really important <coughs> that you have a um, have somebody I suppose that you can connect to and, and as the I suppose the figure of authority I mean whatever people think about or whatever you think about how what I am or how I manage in the workplace it might be different, but there's still, there's always times where authority needs to be um, exercised. And, and, and it, you can only do that, I suppose, in many ways, if you have that balance within the, within the squad. So for me, Jason Yule brings a point of contact on lots of different levels to many of our players. But I think the most important thing is, and hopefully hopefully you will see it as well that there are, there are more uh, a little bit more inventive attacking play I think he, I think he takes uh, plenty of credit for that um, he's he's a, he's a clever coach um, he's a persistently quiet coach which I very much like because when you have members of staff who are 
on the other, and most coaches, I would have to say that I've come across, are on the other end of the spectrum. Very talkative, very, um, lots of information. I, I do like it when you have a quieter coach too. So it gives us as staff some balance too. And I think that is, as a manager, that helps. That certainly helps me in terms of how I then pitch my um, interventions, for want of a better word. Okay? Fine. Next question, please. What about my left box? Oh, yeah. Can you hold your microphone a bit closer? A bit closer? Yeah. Sorry, they forgot about the left box. Um, yeah, I, Martin Scott was the first one, and he was a, he was an outstanding left back. But unfortunately, he got sold on, and he just not long after I came. And then I was lucky again because then it was it was Jim Brennan for for a spell. It was an outstanding attacking fullback who it suited all the fullbacks suited the way I played as well because they were bombing on, and I couldn't bomb on, so I used to bomb and I used to pass it to him. So um, and then uh, Darren Bernard was another outstanding left back, and and then obviously Mickey Bell who who came and had an outstanding time here. So they were all really, really top players. And Mickey's a Geordie, so I'll give him in, just in case he's watching. So uh, Mickey Bell probably is the best. Cheers. And he's on staff. And he's on staff, and he's doing very well. Question for Rich. Um, as supporters and fans, and as you say, we pay our money to come through the turnstiles every week out. Um, when we bought a season ticket this year, there was nothing about the fans' incentives, like bonuses, etc. Whilst I realised we're in a recession, but nothing has come out, and we're what a third way through the season, and the fans don't know what's going on. Yeah, I apologise. It's a lo the loyalty scheme is being revamped. Um, uh, it is nearly ready for launch, uh, and I'm hoping it will be out before Christmas. Um, we will make sure that, because we've got purchase histories, that any kind of purchase, whether tickets or retail, can go, uh, will be recognised within that. Um, we're also going to make sure, and Charlie's leading it forward, doing a great job on it, it's going to be very different to what you've seen before. So it's not just going to be a way of getting discount in the shop, there are going to be other other elements to it, whether they're kind of experiences that money can't buy. Uh, we've got a range of retail partners as well, so when you're spending money elsewhere, it will also count towards the, uh, the loyalty scheme. So apologies that it's not with you yet. Um, uh, we think within a, a month or so, please bear with us, but we'll make sure that people don't miss out on the, uh, on the loyalty that they've already shown. Have uh, I missed anything, Charlie, on that? Richard had, has covered most of it, but um, I do think this scheme will be considerably better than the previous reward scheme, um, particularly around the kind of spending with external businesses. So there will, there will be over 150 retailers, sort of, um, online brands, high street brands, that if you spend with your, with your linked card, you will actually earn Bristol City loyalty points from that. So that's quite a nice added benefit. And we don't just want the scheme to be about you spending in, in, in the store. And hence that kind of money can't buy experiences and different rewards. For example, we're looking at things like um, coming up to the HPC, watching the players train, um, phone calls from players, all, all sorts of kind of cool ideas that will kind of 
hopefully bring the, the players to you and, and, and that kind of thing. So it's, it, we do appreciate your patience with it. It's, it's frustrating on our part because we've been working on this um, for a while. Um, literally, like we're in meetings on it pretty much every day. So it, it, it is a few weeks away, but I'm pretty, pretty confident it'll be worth the wait. So just bear with us. Thank you for your patience. Quick one, Nigel. Yes. Is your main state of your first part of your interview always um? Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm thinking. Um, um. I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about what not to say. I'm thinking about not. Um, yeah, saying something that might be uh, taken out of context. Contentious. Yeah, I've been caught out a bit in the past. I guess this question is for Richard and Nige. Um, first of all, congratulations Richard, thank you for all the work you've done so far. Nige spoke about continuity, so what I'd like to know, <coughs> if possible, well obviously you can't divulge too much information, obviously with you moving on, does this period of change present a chance for maybe a restructure within the club, i.e. implementing maybe a director of football, or will your role likely be filled like for like? I like, I um. I like to think I'm irreplaceable, <laughs> which is clearly not true. Um, yeah, I think it does give an opportunity for the club to see how it's best going forward. When you look at so many clubs have a different, different way of operating, whether it's with a technical director, director of football, uh, executive chairman, uh, there's all sorts of different ways in which we, uh, which we go about our business. And I think it is... It is important that we uh, that we have that level of continuity because Nigel's alluded to the fact that there is uh, you can just feel and sense the progress behind the scenes. Sometimes the results don't make it absolutely obvious to everybody, but you can just feel it. And we want to keep that going, whether it's the way that we play the football, whether it's the culture within the organisation. Um, we've got we've got a lot of. Um, I wouldn't say bureaucracy uh, behind the scenes, but we've got some. We know what we want to do. You know, we know, we know what a wage bill, what what kind of sustainability we can deliver with a set wage bill. We know, therefore, what that means. We need to be paying, for example, a you know a, a top left back or a centre midfield. We we all of that is in place in terms of in terms of structure as to what uh, what we can afford in the market. Uh, we've got a recruitment team, we've got a very able technical recruitment team, uh, we've got scouting systems, we've got coaches, so much of our insight comes from our, from our, from our coaches, it's what they see on a day, and then we've got Brian and, and, and the academy, and what we, what, the, the, way they, the way that we tend to operate is not, is, is not in isolation, we tend to try and use all of the talents, so you know if we're looking at players that are, particular, that are a particular target for us, who has that? Who has the best contact? Is it one of our coaches? Uh, is it one of our players? You know, how can how can we best attract the players that we really want? So it's it is a, a it, it's kind of team talent that we use um, rather than uh, rather than a, a more isolated way of doing it. Um, that does some bring some frustrations at times because it can be a little bit long-winded perhaps, but it, it means that. People have uh, people's views are taken into consideration. I think that you know we we know we know what players are out of contract at the end of the season. Uh, at, at some point, uh, Nigel will will make it clear uh, what offers 
we need to be making to retain players. That will then narrow down the targets that we have in terms of recruitment. Um, and I don't, you know, January, yes, there may be some business, uh, but we think more long term than that. Uh, we're thinking, we're really thinking of, you know, what do we need in the summer? And if there is an opportunity to fast forward some of that recruitment and bring it through into January, then that's 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 our aim uh, in in in, term, in terms of that. So yeah, continuity is important. Um, uh, Gavin here, who's a, a director of Bristol City and, and and also Pula, you know, um, he's working hard now uh, with us, looking at the various options and uh, and to make sure that the hopefully the good work can continue because that's that's what we want. Nigel, anything? Yeah, for me, it's it's very much a it, We don't need to reinvent the wheel. We don't need a. We, we don't need big change. Um, it depends on availability of the right people, and it also depends on <laughs> on uh, <laughs> It depends also on availability of the right of the right people, um, and that's really it. But. We certainly don't need something new because it, we can do something new. It's, it's fairly straightforward in my mind. You know, you've also sorry. We've 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 had the benefit of um, uh, stability in our ownership group for the last 25 years. I don't think there's another club that's had that. So there is a degree of inbuilt stability in there, and uh, that's a, that's an advantage. And we need to we need to take to take advantage of that. Good evening. Why do we all, why do we all struggle against big, strong, physical teams like Millwall and Birmingham? Because they're big, strong, physical teams. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not. It just happens every year. Yeah, yeah, we're, not, we're, not, we're not like that. We're not a big, strong, physical team. It's an answer. <laughs> right, so the question was, why do we tend to struggle against big, strong, physical teams? And I said, because we're not a big, strong, physical team. <laughs> I would like us to have the ability to deal with any team that we play against. But unfortunately, we're not that at the moment. And, um, yeah, I mean, we, we, uh, we're not in a position to be able to to make change quickly so our team has to evolve and sometimes um, the style of play that we adopt suits the players that we have um, what we have to be is a bit more clever at times um, and so yes uh, when you consider our game against Millwall which basically they didn't open us up once and we dealt with all their aerial balls but the two goals are two mistakes we, we've suffered this season from individual mistakes as we did last year, unfortunately. And uh, and it remains a frustration for you as fans, I, I know, but and it certainly does for us too. But um, yeah, that is, it's the way that the game is. We don't have, we don't have a squad which you would say uh, is ever going to be um, 
taller man for man when you go out. We don't have that. But now whether we want to evolve into that it, it is irrelevant at the moment because we don't have the priorities are to try to add one or two players as we go and actually um, to mould the best players that we have and utilise them. So at the moment we have some very talented young technical footballers coming through um, the academy who are in the first team already. There are some monsters coming through now. So it could change with, with just a simple addition of our young players making the transition if they're good enough and they're able to deal with the challenge into, into the first team. But uh, yeah, don't think that we don't look at it sometimes and go, they're big. <laughs> and, and I say, uh, Jay, use your height. <laughs> but hey, but, but let me tell you, inch for inch, centimeter for centimeter, he uses his body better than anybody. He doesn't get beaten very often. So, and some of our... You know, it doesn't mean that just because you're a big, tall player that you're um, bright enough to use it. Some of our big lads. Yeah. I've <laughs> <laughs> not, exactly, um, not exactly dealt with some of the challenges that come their way. So it's, it, it's I don't like to generalise. I, I take it, I fully understand your question and I fully understand your frustration. Um, what we have to do is make sure that we manage the ball well enough and that we hurt them in the way that we can. And we've got the one thing in the modern game in our squad now that most people would absolutely die for, and that is pace. We've got a lot of pace in the squad. And that's something in the modern game which we talk about it, and you'll probably think pie in the sky, but to make the transition from Championship to Premier League, what you need more than anything is a squad that can play quick football and we have some quick footballers so yeah that's still the model for us is getting good athletes um, but also you have to both utilize and maximize the ability of the players that you have you can't always wish for something else because we're not in a position to change that drastically at the rate that we might want to or wish for that's it the reality is that we have a we have a decent squad we have you know we talk about the game against Swansea coming up and people talk about that as being they're a good technical side they'll pass you off the park I know that they'll be very concerned about our attacking options and the pace that we have and they've conceded 40% of their goals from counter-attacks so it's a it's an opportunity for us a long-winded way to answer your question, Thank but you. hey, if you've got short lads, you've got short lads. <laughs> um, hi, I've got a quick question for Richard, but firstly, um, because Brian mentioned Ryan Scott, my favourite left-back, um, he made his debut in December 1990 in a one-all draw against Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, in a snowstorm and our goal was uh, actually scored by a Sheffield Wednesday centre half. So three inches for the shirt. Is it me? No, shirt lift. 
<laughs> anyway, um, on to the question. Um, you've touched on FFP already. Um, can you just specifically clarify, though, we haven't got a points deduction hanging over us then, have we? No, we don't, no, we don't believe that we've got a points deduction hanging over us. And um, that's... Uh, the uncertainty has been caused because um, the Football League have uh, rightly introduced these COVID addbacks uh, and all of the numbers got put in in March time. Uh, and they've uh, they've been trawling through the numbers, and we've been waiting for the confirmation of uh, the validation of the, the numbers that we've put in. And um, so some of those discussions are still ongoing. But no, we are very confident that there will not be a points deduction this year. And if if I did think there was a points deduction, I would be sitting slightly further away from Nigel uh, in case I got uh, yeah in case I got uh, yes <laughs> assaulted. <laughs> It's not in his nature at all. Nigel, can I ask a question? Um, you said earlier that if uh, you were a teacher, your mark would be could do better. Yeah. So what do you think we require in order to achieve higher levels of consistency? Um, we lose too many games that we should draw. And I'm not using that because I think... Does my voice carry far enough? Okay. Is it so carrying on the stream as well? For it? No, it doesn't. Okay, so I need to use it. Um, sorry, streamers. <laughs> we need to be more efficient. You hear me use the word efficiency a lot. Um, good sides, really good sides who maximise what they have, um, know when to <clears throat> not try and win a game and just get something ugly. But at the moment, I think we are a. <coughs> we continue to be either a, a good side to watch or a very frustrating side to watch. Um, and occasionally we have poor performances, which you'll all know about and have your opinions on. But where we will go to the next level is when we can when we can find and it takes it takes enough knowledgeable players within the side who can influence their teammates uh, into being, uh, and I don't like to say settle for a point, but if we'd have um, drawn half the games that we'd lost, we'd be, in a, we'd be just outside the playoff places and we'd all be sitting here with a different view. And, and that's how tight the championship can be. You know, you look at it at the moment, and from from the bottom three up to the playoff places, I mean, it's just crazily tight. Now, that can either make you feel quite vulnerable, or what it does if you're a bit more of an optimist is to say, well, actually, we're not that far away. And whether you think I'm an optimist or not, I am. I think more like that. I think that it's it what. Can, what do we have to do to, to get us from there to there? Yes, we can win more games. Yeah, we know that. But we've not. We've only drawn three games. We've lost far too many. And we've lost games that we shouldn't lose. And mostly they've been because of either careless mistakes <coughs> or royal cock-ups, basically. And um, 
Yeah, it, it, it remains a frustration and it remains something that we have to work towards improving. Um, the players never go out there to make mistakes on purpose and actually I would rather players make positive mistakes and it cost us a goal than be passive. That's the one thing that drives me bonkers. And I don't see that so much this year as I have maybe last season. So although the cock-ups still occur and the mistakes still occur from time to time, they are more positive. So the optimist in me says, well, that's not bad, but it's still very frustrating. It must be really frustrating for you as fans too, because you know that when we, when we played well, we've looked as good as anybody. Um, but we're not consistent enough and we are not able to reproduce those performances which we should be able to. And that, that, becomes, a, that becomes something that for us as staff, <coughs> that's our responsibility to rectify. And that might be either selection or changing people. And that's the, that's the reality of it. I'm going to take two questions from Twitter now. Thank you for everyone watching. Um, first one is for Richard from Gary. Um, Gary asks, thank you for all the club does in the community already, but with the cost of living crisis, what's the plan for ticket season prices next season? We, uh, we haven't got into ticket prices for next season. There was a small increase this year of uh, about 3% overall. Um, but it's one of those things that is going to be on the agenda significantly. Uh, the, the, the government were, were wanting football clubs to uh, help with some, some, some ticket discount systems um, a month or so ago and, and we, uh, we, we, we gently pointed back that uh, our most loyal supporters have already bought, the bought their season tickets and uh, by adding further discounts to, or adding discounts to people that are just buying tickets doesn't, doesn't really help um, our most loyal fans and I think when we're looking at prices or we're looking at the value that we can provide it's always going to be based on our, on, on our season ticket holders. So. Uh, that's that, that's me trying not to give an answer because I don't know quite what the future is, but hopefully give significant assurances that that people understand that we know that our season ticket holders are the bedrock of the club, and we want to grow our season ticket base. We don't want it to, to decline. Second question from uh, Twitter before we go back to the floor. Question from Reese, and it's for Brian. Brian, what main aspects do you look for in young academy players? E.g., is it pace, physicality, technical ability? I think, as Nigel explained before, the game is evolving quickly. So, um, a really important part now of a young player is he has to be able to get around the pitch. He has to be able to run. He has to be athletic. Obviously, you want them technically good because when I was talking about the discussions to who goes and trains with the first team, if you can't handle the ball, then the likelihood you're not going to get across there. So, you have to be a runner. You have to be technically good so we want it all really don't we we want it all. in a play we want we want all the best parts that a, a player looks like so yeah but you definitely have to be an athlete and you have to handle the ball for, for sure mm. That's the floor, question. any of the ladies want to ask a question 
question for Richard and Nigel. January transfer window, is there money to spend? And if so, what and where are you looking to <laughs> hopefully strengthen? Uh, and just to add to that in particular centre half, but given the recent injuries to Callas and Naismith, well, ongoing. Well, when, when, when you ask the money to spend question, it's, it's something that Nigel does ask me quite regularly. Uh, um, we, we don't have significant amounts of money to spend at this point, um, partly because of the FFP element that we've been wanting to make sure that we control, but also you know, in the past, on average, we've sold around £20 million worth of players a year for the previous four years and we have needed that because of the salary level that we've had we've needed that to to see it through and now as we're bringing the salary levels down um we don't yeah we we, we don't have lots of cash that we can we can throw at things for purchases so if you look at what we did last summer we were targeting the very best players that were out of contract that year um, we think that that is quite a sweet spot for us because we will always be looking to be in sort of the top 10 in terms of salaries that, that we can pay in the championship and therefore for the best players coming out of contract in the championship or League One, we are very, very attractive. Um, and that's really the market that we are, that we're attacking at the moment um, in the event that we sell a player and that's not something that we really want to do at all but in the event that we sell a player yes there will, you know a proportion of that will be available for for reinvestment but at the moment and you know, Nigel's a, <laughs> we did have a discussion on that uh, but but no we, we need to sell before we buy uh, but there are you know if, if you consider you know uh, the average player's contract length is two to three years so you know 30 percent of players are out of contract at any one time those, those are the ones that we're looking to target at the moment. So we don't have, uh, we don't have a magic, a magic money tree at the moment. The other thing uh, on this is that, and, and Richard's saying I'm always asking about money. Yes, but I'm really on side with where we are, and I, I understand this, the situation that we're in. And I say this a lot to the staff, the recruitment team, and that is. I don't believe in collecting players and just because we might feel the need to um, yes get another center back in which I would like um, but I, unless they're better than what we've got I'm not wasting money because it's another wage another player who doesn't make us any better so actually um, it's important to remember that we are trying to build a better team than what we've got. Sometimes what you get in the management game is um, a protection, and that is to try and fast track it to, to, to survive. I've been in the game long enough. If I don't survive, I don't survive. But I don't survive on the terms that I live and manage by, and that is that we need to try and we need to try and build a team which is better than what we've got and that can compete at a higher level. And I don't see any mileage in getting another 
bang average player in to, uh, to replace a player who might, either might be coming out of contract that we can't afford again, or a player who is um, a middle-of-the-road championship player. So when one comes along that we think is better, we might even produce one. And there's some really good youngsters coming through, but it's a position that, that in all honesty, you need somebody like a, a Naismith in there to bring youngsters through because that's the type of you know in that sort of position you make a mistake like being a goalkeeper you make a mistake there and it costs you normally as you've seen so the philosophy is always going to be the same and that is we want to improve um, we'll improve it when we can and when circumstances changes and there is money to spend we will spend it wisely the, the, the days of us throwing money down the pan is over. I, I, I think it's also, I'll, I'll bring Brian in here as well on the academy because um, uh, the av if you look across the championship, the average number of homegrown, homegrown players in a squad last season was about two and a half, something like that. The average number of homegrown players we had in our squad last season was between six and a half and seven. Uh, uh, Nigel deserves enormous credit for bringing them into the into the first team environment, and Brian deserves enormous credit for developing them in the first place. And um, so our, our our academy and the high performance centre, and frankly where we are in the country, gives us a unique advantage. If you're stuck up in the Midlands somewhere, and you've got West Brom and Wolves and Birmingham and all these clubs competing for the talent, or if you're in London where you've got about seven Cat One academies all competing for the same talent. It's, uh, it's quite difficult. Here, our unique advantage is that we've got an amazing new facility which is better than anything else in the southwest of England, which we can use to attract the best players in here. That's going to be our long-term future. And, um, and, you know, and Brian, I'm sure we'll... we'll you know, how are we doing on that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and as Nate says, we have, a, we have squad depths when, we, when the recruitment team work and we work closely with them. And it's, it's like one, two, three, four from each position. So we've always got our younger players beneath uh, the first team players. Now we know they're not all going to be first team players, but we want to give them the opportunity to get there. So we do have real in-depth charts of players in positions of one, two, three, four. So it'll go first team probably one and two, then a 21s player, then an 18s player below, who we think could have the potential to play in our first team. And that's something we always look at before Nigel go and try and sign a player, we will look at that chart and maybe there's gonna be a right back ready in two years. So you can go and sign a right back and give him a two year contract because we know the next one's gonna be there. And that's throughout the, uh, the squad depth chart. So there's constant, constant conversation and that's where the HPC has become really, really important because instead of being at SDS and traveling to Fayland and then Travelling back, then coming back to see, we can walk up the corridor and have the conversations which we have every day. So it's really, really important, and it's in a good place. And as Nigel just touched on, um, the young players—we've got some outstanding young players coming through, and we've got some outstanding young players in the team. So there's a there's a lot to be really positive about. But you know, we don't even need to be a Cat One uh, academy because what we have um, that a lot of places don't have is opportunity. And that's for the parents out there who are interested in their uh, boys or girls uh, progressing in the game. 
it's about opportunity. It's not about uh, playing for a flash club. It's about playing for a club where you're going to get a chance. And uh, they'll get a chance in. And no, just, just sorry. Well, no, just, just saying on that, the, you'll probably see less of our players going out on loan yeah. now. Because before, because we need them. there was no, there, yeah. <laughs> but they before they weren't really getting played, and we were we were having to send them out on loan to prove they were good enough. But I think the pathway is there now to not have to send them out to prove they'll actually get the opportunity without going there. As Tommy Conway had a couple of loans when he was younger, yeah. but just to get him some men's football. But them days now where you'll see 10, 12, 15 of our lads out on loan are gone because they're, they're close enough now and they will get the opportunity here. Okay, and just, just on loan players, there was an amazing stat that I heard. I'll have got the numbers slightly wrong, but there's about 130 Premier League players currently on loan in the 72 uh, clubs in the EFL um, at a combined cost of around 30 million pounds. Uh, so you've effectively got EFL, EFL clubs paying for the academies of the Premier League clubs, which is an interesting concept. Um, and yes, there's always an option where we can take uh, more players from the Premier League on loan, but then what does that do in terms of creating a logjam for our players? Does that prevent a Tommy Conway from playing? Does it prevent an Eamon Benaroos from coming? And given our, you know, the unique position that we've got, as you said, with the academy, we don't we don't want to we don't want to stop our own talent from coming through that would be a double waste i think nigel got a question for you i'm over here throwing your voice over there <laughs> when you sort of give interviews it's probably the same stupid question yeah. do you ever look at the guy that's asking the question, why are you asking me that? <laughs> and how do you deal with it when they don't? <laughs> um, yeah, and, that, and that's why I got Rich up at the front. He's, hey, look, we've got, what? We've, got a, we've got a reporter in the building and he sat at the back of the pine. Yeah, I think, uh, I think my, I, I, I don't think I'm good at hiding it. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I, 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 I suppose I, um, I wear my heart on my sleeve, in that sense. And I, I don't like, and Richard's in the room, and and, and uh, I would like to think I try and help out. You won't think so at times, but but I think lazy questioning is is something which irritates me particularly because if journalists ask intelligent questions and questions which actually test you, then yeah, I'm happy to talk all day. But if they if they just give you a statement and then they they don't ask a question, they normally give a statement and then expect you to expand on it. I'll just leave them hanging <laughs> because their job is to ask me a difficult question their job is to they're working on your behalf so they should be asking the questions which you can't ask after a game and that is that is the, I think that's the role of journalists is to do that and so there'll be some journalists who um, will sit on You'll see a, 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 a very um, critical 
uh, report on one thing and then probably the next day you might get somebody giving a different angle and it's about giving balance it's about representing the public's opinions and asking the questions that the public can't necessarily ask now you can you can vote with your feet by not coming you can vote with your vocal cords by either being um, either booing or not being happy and letting us know that um, the only thing I'd ever say about that is try and stay behind your team is the, is all I'd say I don't mind carrying the, the <laughs> taking the flat but the team needs your support um, but journalists yeah for me journalism is is um, there's a lot of lazy journalists out there and I'm not suggesting Richard is that at all because no because because I think over the last year I would like to think we have a bit more there is a bit more two-way questioning I think that's very very healthy I think it, it has to be their job is to get us to open up my job is to protect our interests and maybe sometimes protect the players not protect myself is to protect the club and and so when you've got that those dynamics it stands to reason that their job is to open that they've got to unlock that by asking intelligent questions and searching questions and ones which make me you know move about a bit and doesn't happen often enough. it's okay and you know I've got some history <laughs> Hello. Um, just to come back to the loan market a minute, um, I can understand that we don't want to dilute uh, the pool that we have, but in the past players like Tammy Abraham have had a great impact on the club. Mm. Could one or two of the right players for six months in January not be that extra percentage that takes us across the line that we want? Do you, do you want a football answer or, or a financial answer? Because there's, there's two sides to that. And, and Shall I give a financial answer first? Um, yes, if they can provide enough value. Yeah. But you can pay an awful lot of money for them and then they disappear six months or 12 months later. You've put no value into your own squad. Um, and all you've done is pumped up the value of somebody else. Now that's, that you know, someone like a Tammy, who was yeah an incredible loan signing and you know yeah Andy Cole was another one um, yeah it's right we we are Ryan Kent well there's there's two across three decades um, look it's not something that we don't look at we genuinely look at it and when we're putting the uh, when we're putting the shortlist together. We will have a combination of people that are available to purchase, people that are available on uh, free transfers and people that are available to loan. And we compare them against the various options and see where are we going to get the best value from. And the market's changed. So I've taken players like Tom Cleverley, uh, Jesse Lingard, I sent him back to Man United because he was a disgrace. <laughs> and he got a bollocking. And I'm serious. Um, I've taken a lot. Harry Kane didn't play him, or, or played him, but the players weren't having him. So, but what you've got to remember with things like this is their careers might have gone like that afterwards, or gone like that, 
but they need the experience. So sometimes the experience is a clip round the ear all and sent back. And back in those days, of course, and we're only talking 10 years ago, when you took players from Premier League sides, the first six months would be free. And then after that, you might get a loan fee of, it would be nominal. Now you're talking about these players, they came into our club, they'd be our top earners by two times what our top earners are earning. And they might not be a success. So it's a different, it, it, honestly, it changes so quickly. And I think, not. I don't want to slag agents off per se, because that would be unfair. But it is, the game has changed hugely in the last five, 10 years in terms of what people want out of it. And there aren't enough managers who have control still over the decisions of where players go. You know, some of these big clubs have, I, I've spoke to managers at one or two clubs in the Premier League and said, you know, inquired about their players and they've gone, oh, well, it's nothing to do with me. You'll have to ask our loan manager. And the loan manager talks to, and it just becomes a numbers game. And at that point, I go, we're not doing it. it it's just, just to expand on that, there's, uh, the, 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 there are something like 490 professional players in the Premier League. The average salary across that 490 players is 55,000 pounds a week. And so when, you, you know, when you're looking at bringing youngsters in, as, as Nigel said, they're, they're on a lot of money. And also the point on the loans managers, um, they're the people that we need to work with and I'm going to be very nice when I talk about them um, because we may need their favours. Uh, but, but, but they run a business and within a Premier League club, the loans manager is expected to turn a profit. So, so you know, they, they are, yes, trying to get experience into their players, but they also want to make money out of it. I think the thing with this is no, and, and, and I think it's a good question that you ask, and, and it's a very worthwhile question. I think what we need to do is to, is at least be as, as transparent as possible with the reasons for it. You know, I try and be that, but hopefully the press will ask me some better questions next time. <laughs> no, but it, no, it, I, I'm joking apart. It is a, the decisions that we make on players either coming in or not coming in are based on what is right for us. And I don't think maybe at times you get the full story. Maybe we, we can give you a bit more information on that. But, but it is always a, but the thing about it is you're talking about other people's players. And, and I don't like to necessarily speculate on talking about other people's players. I think it's disrespectful some of the time to, to do that. I think the process we can be as open as possible with you, but in terms of the numbers and the names, I don't think that is ethical to go down that route. But you know, certainly that's how it's, it's changed massively in a pretty short period of time. All right, Tins. Um, talk about psychology in the game and the mental toughness of some of the young players coming through. So it's great you get Riley Taylor, for instance, come through and, and he has a bit of a rick and gives away a pen, or Belly has a bit of a nightmare, 45s, a right back, right wing back, or wherever he was to join up there. How do you then, how do you then work with him? 
or those players to make sure they're ready to go again. And if they go out on loan, what does that do to the Reds to think, have I, have I done it, have I not? What do you do with them to get them fit again, mentally? Yeah, well, I think the, the biggest thing to, to get you mentally ready is to play the game. I think the, the experience of being there on a Saturday and playing and having the ups and downs and, and having your good performances and getting three points. I think when we do send these young players out, it's to get that experience. Because in the, in the 21s, and we say it, we, we don't pick a 21s team to win a game. Because it's not the be all and end all, it's about developing our best players. So we'll play a 16 year old in there, or two, and think we might lose the game, but they're going to be further on in their development. So the same as Riley, wouldn't get anything playing in our 21s because he's beyond that. He's not quite in Niger's plan, so let's get him in League 2 playing 40, 40 games. And then in pre-season, he'll be back, I'm sure, with Niger's squad, and we go, right, where is he now after 40 games in League 2? With the ups and downs and the winning, losing, having to get back up to play again Tuesday. So that's the reason, really, when they're at Riley's point, is to get that experience and get the games under your belt and come back with that. I, I'm sure he's been playing, sitting in midfield a bit, Riley, for Wimbledon as well. He's been protecting that back four and being really, really good. I saw one of the people say the other day, it's one of the best loan signs they've ever had. So Riley will come back, I'm sure, in the summer, really positive, ready to show Nigel and his staff. He's gained massive experience from that loan. And he might go again for us. You've got to give them a chance, which is, again, talking about loans, which is why I don't like loaning our youngsters out early, because I want to look at them in pre-season. And with a small squad, we need to be able to um, make sure that some players don't get too much pitch time. I don't like too many games in pre-season. It's about conditioning. So, it, you know, the youngsters, every time that we start back pre-season, it's an opportunity to see just how far they've come on, because some of them even from the end of a season to the start of pre-season, they, you know, they, we've, we've seen that in the last two years. Some of our youngsters have made massive progress. That's just on a player by player. Yeah? You, you don't say no, we don't. No. It's just player by player. Yeah. Yeah. Alex Scott didn't need one. No, and then last, last pre-season, Belly and Tommy were touch and go. At the end, are they going to go out? Are they going to say it? And they've done so well. He's like, they ain't gone anywhere. If we saw him train once and said he'll play for England. Yeah, Scott, yeah. But there, Tommy comes in so well and does well in pre-season, he's like, he'll play. Well, great, then he ain't going anywhere. So it's a constant, it's a constant conversation. Uh, yeah. Oh, good evening, gentlemen. Um, hello, Nigel. A uh, question for you. Um, I remember in the, not long after you uh, joined us, mm. and um, I don't buy this newspaper, but there was a picture in the Daily Mail of, um, of you sat in some office up at the HBC and there's a little bonsai tree there, lovely little bonsai tree. Yeah. Yeah, oh, excellent. Otherwise I'm barking up the wrong bonsai here if, if that was a long picture. But anyway, um, I was just wondering what you do outside, of, apart from um, fending off packs of wolves, I was just wondering what you do outside of, um, was it dogs, was it, well, whatever. It's, it's nice to change the story. Um, I was just wondering what you do outside of, outside of work to try and Calm yeah. down from bonsai propagation. Indeed, exactly. <laughs> um, but you don't strike me as a 24-hour-a-day watching videos, analysing. No, you've got I, me I, to a T there, lad. And I think that's a nice bit of your trouble. Yeah. And I, um, I think I read somewhere that you go walking as well. Like going yes. Walking. So I just wonder if you've been like up on the Mendips or I have, Yeah, indeed. Okay, good. Just wonder where you've been. Talk about football's boring. Let's find out about you. <laughs> 
So come on, where have, have you been to Pretty? Have you been up to Pretty? This is the uh, Rambling Association now. <laughs> rambling questions. Yeah. Uh, well, you, you, said, you said ask an intelligent what question. What do I do? I, I, else I try and, um, I try and uh, get a bit of uh, balance in my life. I, I like to be alone, if I'm honest. I, um, I don't mind being with people, but I enjoy my own company too, so um, yeah. I like being outside and doing all sorts of stuff. Uh, I'll have a go at anything, actually, within reason. Um, shearing sheep one year, I did. Um, not very well. Uh, got a few de uh, sheep ticks, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I just like being outside. And I like to get away from football as well. So um, where I live outside of Nelsea is, um, is uh, good for me because it's, uh, it's a bit more solitary out there. Um, so yeah, I like, I, I like being outside, basically. Doing all sorts of stuff. Oh wow, how am I gonna follow up that question? Yeah. <laughs> um, Nige, uh, my question is, um, how do you, Curtis and I suppose Jason, feel when following a certain performance or result, certain comments may be made by supporters saying, or point out the fact that the three of you are all former defenders and then therefore say that the players should have defended better because they are coached and managed by former defenders. How do you feel about that excuse or that, or that assumption? Yeah, well, people are entitled to their opinions, but uh, I think it's... Um, we, we work with our players and I think it's important that we... Um, work to improve them. So it's not about uh, if <laughs> let's put it like this: if you're going to blame somebody, you should be blaming the person at the top. Um, but what I would say is that it's look, it's always about trying to improve players, and players will make mistakes. And unfortunately for us, we still do make too many mistakes that cost us goals, and that's our biggest problem. Um, and. Uh, you know, I, I think Cal Naismith came in for some uh, criticism, but he plays in a, such a positive way, and um, the mistakes that he, he made that have cost him goals, it hurts him, of course it does. But what he brings to the side far outweighs um, that as well. But look, he's he will he's so conscious of um, wanting to those sorts of situations right you know we, we've made mistakes with in both goalkeeping situations uh, defensive situations 1v1s uh, mistakes that come out of nowhere yeah it's it's very very frustrating for all of us um, but I'm not a believer in just hanging people out to dry necessarily unless they need it <laughs> I might do that but um, no, they're, they're, they're my players, they're our players, and we'll work together to improve all of them. And that's what we've got to do. Um, I know people sometimes get irritated when I say, yeah, but they're the players that we've got. Well, they are, for the time being, until we can change it. And so what we have to do is work with those players to firstly make the, make the team more efficient. Because if the team's efficient, then individual mistakes aren't as costly normally and uh, yeah so 
Yeah, it, criticism always hurts people. People say it doesn't hurt. I don't think that that is... You can have rhino skin, but somewhere it, it, it hits you. And, and I think when it does hit you, the response should be, let's do something about it. And uh, for me, it's always about uh, working in the right sort of environment. And I think for the most part, we have that. We have that at work. We have a, a really honest forum for people to at least have an opinion. Whether whether it's shared by other people is another thing, of course, but it's important to at least have the opportunity to say what you think, like you have tonight. Pleasure. Hello. My question would be, you say we like lose points due to like silly mistakes, yep. but we keep running a three at the back. I yeah. just want to see why we would run a three at the back if we keep making defensive mistakes. Because that's the system that suits the players that we've got. We don't have full backs, we've got wing backs. Uh, Mark Sykes, I think, has been excellent so far this season. Um, I think it suits Jay De Silva. He's, a, he's also a wing back rather than a full back, although Jay could play, he could play as a full back. Um, three defenders means that, uh, yeah, I think it, it suits it suits the the players that we have. It means we can play three in midfield and two up top. I like to play with two up top. I don't, you know, we did play four three three, and I don't really think we have. <clears throat> I think all our strikers are better when they're playing in a partnership. And we have players who like to play in behind the two strikers. So it's it's not always about... So, yeah, we're talking about errors at the back again. But actually, the strength of our side... The strength of us is how we actually go forward. We're not, at the moment, a clean sheet side. Although we've kept probably more clean sheets so far this year than we did last year. But we're still shipping too many goals. And we're still losing too many games but the system that we're playing is there because it suits the players that we have and so um, we've had a conversation today Stan, as to whether it's what the what the benefits are of maybe changing it but of course we keep going back to the same thing is our forwards are better playing as a two one of them in behind, who was a real pest, and it will suit us when we play against Swansea. Um, and we've got good midfielders. So it's about trying to get your best players on the pitch. Always. <laughs> Always. Hey, look, hey, you know, I'm not a massive fan of playing three at the back. But it's not about me, it's about what we've got and what the players. You know, and, and actually I enjoy seeing us play at, at times playing the way that we do because we've got a group of attacking players who can cause problems for anybody in this league, I'm telling you, absolutely anybody. And they are, they're in a good place mentally as well. So we have to try and harness the parts of the side that are functioning as well as possible and, and uh, yeah, 
sometimes when parts of the team aren't functioning as well as you want them to, you've got to give them that added crutch of having an extra player around them. So that's where we are. Is that uh, a fair answer? Okay. Uh, Nigel. Hello, where are you? Yeah, quick question. Um, is there anyone from the um, academy that has caught your eye at all to sign in a professional contract? And how close by our players? Uh, how many players are close to signing their first professional contract, Brian? Well, well, I think Brian will answer the the second part about yeah. how many are, but yeah. uh, loads of them, to be honest with you. <laughs> okay. We, listen, we we've got a very. Um, I said to Brian last year, for instance, yeah, but we can't expect every year to be the same. And he went, well, wait till you see next year's lot coming through. And, and the point is this, is that, that in youth football, one of the best things to try and do is to fast track them. So if they're doing well in their age group, is to push them up. Because what that then does is free up the space for the younger ones below that to go into. It, it really is a, it's a fast tracking system and you'll get some you get some late develop you get some late developers as well which the academy system actually um, makes allowances for so there are we have we have for lots of reasons geographical we've already talked about that um, the facility that we have the big selling point for us is is opportunity two and I think we've got an academy that we should be very very proud of actually Right. <laughs> yeah, the, the boys I was talking about earlier, the 16-year-olds, you can't give them professional contracts until they hit the 17th birthday. So I shouldn't be playing them in the 21s, really, because somebody could come and nick them. But we have to be ready, and we know when their 17th birthday hits, if they keep going the way they're going, we're going to have to get them wrapped up. So, yeah, you've got to be always on top of it, because the bigger clubs come and try and pinch your younger players, and they try and get them cheap. And because of Brexit now, they can't go into Europe. Yeah. This, we had we had a game the other day Arsenal, you watched the 15s didn't you with us against Arsenal at the HBC there's like 14 scouts yeah. from the Premier League so we have to be on top of it all the time and one step ahead because we can give them 15 year olds early scholars and there's about 14 of them in there that people are watching so we have to be really careful, it's tough but the good thing is that the, the pathway we can show them we don't talk about it in this bullshit anymore we can actually show them. Yeah. I took a young lad, we just signed a lad from Western Supermare, 16 year old, Brandon Back, scored in their first team the other week. Took him up the HPC, walked him around the first team training room, and they've all got the name stickers everywhere. And I went, Academy, 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 Academy. Acad there was 11 with a sticker in there. His jaw dropped, his brother fell over, <laughs> and he signed the next day. And he had other clubs, he had Wolves. He had different clubs, but he's from Western Superman. I said, but why would you want to go anywhere else? And he signed and he, he scored two in a practice match today and he's a good player. So yeah, we've got to be on top of the game because at 14 they can pinch him and they can pinch him cheap. So we have to be on, on the ball. And um, the, the, the only thing that I would uh, counter though also on that is that any players thinking go and uh, join the academy of a Premier League team, I, would, I, I wouldn't recommend it. And, and, my, and my, the reason for that is I look at the uh, England under-19 team that won the European Cup and um, how many senior appearances did they actually have under their belts compared to our own Alex Scott 
and uh, and that's it. If you want to play men's football and and, and drive through the. the, the best way is to stay with Bristol City that's my sales pitch anyway well there's a good there's a good point Richard and a few years ago we had two 14 year olds we had Herbie Kane who went to Liverpool at 14 we tried to persuade him to stay and he wanted to go and we had Jacob Maddox in the same age group he went to Chelsea we got quite a, a lot of money but Lloyd Kelly was in the same, same age group Lloyd Kelly's now captain in Bournemouth in the in the Premier League Jacob Maddox is playing at Oxford no, uh, Walsall in League Two, and Herbie Kane's playing Oxford. So they went early, chasing that big dream. Lloyd Kelly stayed, and I'd rather have Lloyd Kelly's money. <laughs> There's a gentleman there with his hand up. Jerry. <coughs> um, my question for Nigel, because how. Uh, Inconsistent the referees are. Do you feel a chance? Do you think the championship's ready for VAR or not? Do you think what? The championship's ready for VAR. Absolutely. Time to make them accountable. No, I didn't want to do it into the mic. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. Look, I know there's a lot of, um, there is an awful lot of uh, differing points of view as to technology. Technology is there to um, help get things right. Yes, I am a critic of uh, some of the decisions. I don't like the fact that it's just so, uh, there, there's no leadership really at the moment in terms of how the uh, officials are managed. I think that's going to change. Howard Webb is taking over. Hopefully he will have an impact. It's important, it's important that they get the support that they deserve to get things right. Long gone are the days where you as fans used to go along to a game, watch it with your own eyes, see what you see and go home. Now we can watch things again on, on social media, on TV shows. It's very easy to pick the bones out of uh, mistakes that are made by officials. Um, what I don't like is the inconsistencies and what I don't like is the lack of accountability. Um, we all have to have accountability of what we do. I want, I want the officials, exactly, I want, I want the officials to be successful and, and in all honesty, when, the first time I came across VAR was when I worked in Belgium, then when I came back and I worked at Watford and people said to me about, oh, but you're going to, I said, no, I'm actually really relaxed because what it will do is, what it should do is diffuse the situation in stadiums where everybody can see um, exactly what happened. Unfortunately, <laughs> what's happened is it's gone back to the VAR, oh, excuse me, it's gone back to the VAR referee and they've got it wrong. And so the, the, there clearly needs to be um, more direction uh, within the organization of officials. You know, uh, PGMOL need to, uh, I think, uh, tighten up the um, 
their own standards and be a little bit more transparent themselves. It's for the good of the game. You know, when you talk about, I mean, we, we, we've got Bears, Bristol Bears, part of Bristol Sport, and when you look at how different sports uh, react to um, officiating, very, very different. The cultures are very, very different. I don't think it's particularly good. You know, I, I, I have to say some of the things that I've said after games, I'm not particularly proud of, but it's an emotional game and actually they can cost people the jobs. Um, I think the standard of officiating is substandard. I don't think it's what it should be, given the experience that there is out there. And there's some really good refs, by the way, some really good officials, really, really good. So it needs to be, <clears throat> we need to be supportive of them and technology, unfortunately, whether we like it or not, has to be the way forward because everybody else has the opportunity to see things from every angle. So they need to have that too. And that's my view on it. <clears throat> Thank you. Uh, this question is for any, any of you three, if you've got an opinion on this. Apart from the refs, why is it that the City's average minutes per penalty awarded is 8,000 and the average in the media fed is about 300 minutes per penalty? I love that graph and um, I don't love that graph. Yeah, no, this is, you may not be aware, but there's this amazing graph that shows the average number of minutes that uh, goes by before somebody gets a penalty. And you've got all 92 league clubs and it's all about there. I think it's on the, the, the 300 minute mark, 3000 minute mark, whichever one it is. And then there's, then there's an outlier. There's an outlier and it's on about 6,000. And you think that's us? And then there's Mars out here. <laughs> and that's us. It is, it is a statistical anomaly, which is incredible. I have no idea why we don't get the penalties. I love the statistic, but Tins can say why we don't get the I think I penalties. took the last one, wasn't I? <laughs> <laughs> it's the anniversary next Saturday, Richard. We had a penalty at Coventry on the 6th of November last year, so next weekend's an anniversary. Brilliant. We get plenty of players in the box, lad. First of all, thank you all for giving up your time tonight. Secondly, congratulations, Richard. Very well deserved. Um, we will miss you, obviously. Um, <laughs> you can tell my questions for Nigel, because I then went, um, so... Uh, <laughs> Nigel, you talked about um, marginal gains, and you alluded to mistakes costing us. Yeah potentially from draws that could have counted. And also you talked about, uh, you and Richard talked about staff that add value. Yeah. Given uh, the number of goals we're conceding at corners, yeah. and maybe also our lack of success attacking from corners, do you have a set-piece specialist or is that something that's on the radar or would be considered? No. No, no, because um, there, was a, there was a point last year when I got asked in a press conference about uh, a member of the staff, uh, they're, they're responsible for it. And I just thought, yeah, you're just trying to hang somebody out to dry here. And I thought, no, I'm not going down that road. Um, we were awful last year. 
And then we changed to, for the last six games of the season, zonal marking and was very successful. And generally speaking, whether people like it or not, um, because we still have uh, unreliable markers, it's the best system for us. Um, yeah, it pains me to say how many goals that we do concede from it. But unfortunately still, it, it comes down to people doing their jobs. And unfortunately, um, it's the lesser of two evils. I do believe that it suits the players that we have. Um, do, I, do I enjoy having to change a system? It's more to do with whether it's going to be beneficial for the players. And generally speaking, it's been better. It's still not what I want it to be. Um, if we had more uh, reliable markers, I think uh, that would be, I think I would prefer to have a mixture of both. And that would be zonal marking for certain areas and, and then our best headers picking up their most dangerous players. So what we've had recently is teams who are trying to um, uh, trying to uh, offset it or uh, what we've done from set plays. The goal that we conceded uh, against the second goal against Reading, if I'm honest, yeah, it's another one from a corner, but it was a fantastic ball in, and I don't think. Even if we would add, uh, I don't know, you choose your best centre-half that you've ever watched, we wouldn't have stopped that one. The ones that we, the, the ones that we conceded uh, the week before and the week before that, yeah, very irritating. But uh, um, it's not something, you know, please don't go away and think it's not something that's discussed as to what's the best way and... and We've had many a discussion on it and practiced it and practiced it, but it's it is it remains one of our weaknesses, and I I have to admit that too, and we will continue to do what we can to board our goal up. Take another one from okay. Twitter. Um, Chris asks, probably one for Nudge, what plans are there? apart from training during the World Cup break? Any specific plans for the players given three weeks? Um, well, we'll, we'll, they'll have a bit of time off. They'll have some, they'll then have programs to do, which they'll do, uh, yeah, in their own time. So they'll probably get a, a week off. They'll have some training off-site programs, which they would do in a closed season. And then we have a mini pre-season with a with a yeah we'll have a practice game before the season re resumes. So that's the plan. It'll be a mini pre-season. <coughs> um, with the the small margins in the championship, yes. have we looked at a psychologist coming into the club? I think back in possibly Brian's day, but I think under Danny Wilson we had a guy called Brian James. I think. Yeah. And with some of the fragility that is fans, we think we see in the players. Is it something we've considered at all? A lot of players have their own these days. Um, yeah, uh, it, it's something that we've 
um, had, experimented with, are yeah, supporting certain players with that at the moment. Um, I'm not a big fan of uh, group sessions. I think those days are yeah, history. I'm not a big fan of that. I know in certain sports that seemed to be a, a good way of doing it. Doesn't doesn't fit the culture of football. Uh, players tend to now get uh, more benefit from one-on-one -on -one individual sessions. Um, it happens. Yeah. Thank you. I think we're almost. Is there any more questions from the floor? Perhaps take one. More a week. Yeah. It's gentlemen Score. here. Score on Saturday. What's <laughs> Anything that has us scoring more than them. Okay. Uh, question for all three of you, really. Um, given your individual roles, given the costs and logistics of moving to Cat One Academy. Um, what would all three of you in your individual roles think about moving to cat one would you like it if we could do it would it benefit us bearing in mind brian saying that half the premier league is trying to nick our 14 year olds which they wouldn't be able to do probably in cat one i think uh, i think there are 31 cat one academies, something like that since we come up with the numbers but um uh, I can answer that really easily because in Brian's annual appraisal, it says that he's got to deliver Cat 1 performance at a Cat 2 budget. So that's it. Thank you. <laughs> I, I personally do not think it would benefit us. I think your 16-year-olds I'm talking about before, probably a War Edwards who's out on loan, Riley Taylor, Sam Pearson, they wouldn't be able to go out on loan because we'd have to be as strong as we possibly could to play Chelsea and Man City and Arsenal and all them cat ones. So I think we're in a position where we've got the best of both worlds. We can learn about, we can play our best young 16-year-olds at the 21s and still compete and win games. So I, I personally, and it costs a lot more money and the pressure would come on the appraisal even more. So I think we'll just leave it how it is. And we're, we're having success with it. We're having success. So I don't think we need to change what we're what will happen and now you're right and it does oh, you know what it would do in 14 instead of costing them 250 grand from us if we were cat one it'd be half a million they'd still come and take them yeah. but we are I, I do think we're over, overachieving for our level so yeah congratulations on that thank you yeah we, there we are yeah. but having said that the only thing that's i think probably stopping us from being cat one is we don't have an indoor area is that right? Yeah, there are other things, uh, you, but, but then we use the Bears because uh, they've got one just down the road, so that's uh, our red button for that. Um, although the, I, I've gone through, gone visited last summer, we went and had a look at Chelsea and Arsenal, the rest of it, and most of the indoor units were used as storage areas because people don't like playing on them or in, in, indoors. And they're really only there for, for when you get the real youngsters on a, on a very stormy night. But um, uh, other than that, yeah, you've got to you've got to increase your staffing levels. There are very set numbers of staff, so I think Southampton, for example, have to have 
two full-time coaches at every age group. Uh, so, so there are certain levels of staffing you've got to have in. Uh, I'd, I'd rather we found our own way, and, and I think we are finding our own way, rather than just be told you've got to have that level in order to be Cat 1, because you know, when I look at the benchmarking, uh, our academy is, uh, is, is doing really, really well. well. Let's keep it going. Great stuff. So I think we've had nearly an hour and 45 minutes of hopefully great insight, some great questions. Thank you so much. Thank you to all our viewers around the world. Um, 120. <laughs> gone down. Thank you to our panel. Uh, above all, thank you for coming this evening and uh, see you Saturday. Thank you. Thank you.